listeners, please take note that we are posting a second episode this week in preparation for Memorial Day. We will take a break from posting the week of Memorial Day, but we'll return the first week of June. Thank you. Welcome to The Just Pod, a podcast by the Criminal Justice Section of the ABA, the unified voice of criminal justice. Today, we have Certified Specialist in Criminal Law, Robert McWhorter. Robert, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Oh, it's my great pleasure. Great. Well, Robert is one of our co-chairs within the section. He co-chairs the Alternatives to Incarceration and Diversion Committee. He is also the former federal public defender and Maricopa County public defender and is an award-winning author on the history of the Bill of Rights. So today, Robert's joining us to discuss Attorney General William Barr being held in contempt by Congress and the implications of that. So let's just jump in at the beginning and help us understand what it means to be held in contempt of Congress and why the Attorney General William Barr is being held in contempt. Well, contempt of Congress can apply to anything that constitutes obstructing the work of the United States Congress or one of its committees. So doing anything to prevent them from carrying out their constitutional functions is a possible finding of contempt of Congress. Traditionally, back in the early history of this, at the start of the Republic, contempt of Congress was when somebody would try to bribe a a representative or a senator, and that would be what was kind of considered contempt of Congress. But now there are separate statutes for that, and contempt of Congress is kind of anything else that you do that blocks Congress from carrying out their duties. Mm-hmm. And so why is William Barr being held in contempt? Well, it's be, he's been held in the contempt because there is a committee that had enough votes to do it, and the House of Representatives that have enough votes to do that. Any individual House, either the House of Representatives or the Senate, can separately find somebody in contempt. They don't have to have this thing done jointly by the entire United States Congress, which would include the House and the Senate. So he's specifically being held in contempt because he's not delivering the full Mueller report. Now, this goes back to another power of Congress, which is the power of oversight over executive branches. And that goes all the way back to the Parliament of England. And when the new republic was reformed, they understood that Congress would have the power of oversight of the executive branch agencies and the presidency to make sure that the laws are faithfully executed. The president has the duty to faithfully execute laws, but Congress has a role in making sure that gets done and also making sure that there's not corruption in the government and other kinds of malfeasance. And so has this happened before? Has an attorney general been held in contempt by Congress before? Yes. One time, and it was Eric Holder during the Obama administration, and it had to do with, if you recall, there was that Fast and Furious investigation going on about actions of the ATF, the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms program, which they were 
kind of selling back weapons to criminals, and those weapons were then being traced. And the idea was to find out where the weapons were going and to create a bigger investigation. Unfortunately, a Border Patrol agent was killed with one of those weapons. His name was Brian Terry. And this became a big thing. And the question there was, when did Eric Holder know of the operation? And he had testified that he knew of it on a certain date, and there was claims that he knew of it before, and they were trying to establish that he had somehow committed perjury, and they wanted documents where certain Republican House members said would show that he had committed perjury. And for various reasons, they denied that. They asserted ex executive privilege, and those were denied. So the Republican House held him in contempt because he didn't produce those documents. Later, what happened was there was an internal review when things all blew over and it showed that Eric Holder really didn't know earlier than he had stated that he knew, mm. and so that all blew over, um, which raises a real problem with the whole contempt of Congress. Back in, in the old days, and I think the last time this was actually done was 1925, the Congress itself used to go in and they'd send the the sergeant at arms to actually grab you and they could put you in jail or fine you or whatever. Mm -hmm. Now there's a specific statute that makes it a crime to commit contempt of Congress, and that gets referred to the Department of Justice. Now, of course, the problem mm -hmm. with that, of course, is the Department of Justice is under the executive branch, which very often is the very branch that's being reviewed. And mm -hmm. so President Trump controls the executive branch. So that you know basically it's a presidential power if somebody commits a bank and the president says i'm not going to prosecute him or i'm not going to investigate it well, there's not very much you can do to compel the president to do that unless you you know want to do impeachment so the case can be referred i would also tell you that if i was advising any member of this administration including attorney general barr I would tell him, you know, you really shouldn't put yourself in a position to get contempt of Congress. Another administration can come in and investigate it as long as it's within the statute of limitations. And you could be charged for contempt of Congress, which means you could be looking at a criminal punishment and serious fines. And it doesn't matter if, you know, what your boss says, who's the president of the United States in that context, you're still mm -hmm. on the hook individually. Yeah. In theory, if in the year 2020 we get a new president, a new administration coming in, and they choose to pursue prosecuting William Barr for this contempt of Congress, he could still, at that time then, be prosecuted. And it wouldn't, yes. as long as it's within the statute of limitations. Interesting. Yes. So even yeah. if right now the Department of Justice, uh, under the authority of President Trump, determines not to pursue the investigation, that wouldn't close it? No, it wouldn't necessarily close it at all. It can always be brought up by another administration, another investigation. And presumably, William Barr's defense would be, oh, this was fit under the rubric of executive privilege or some other reason, national security or something. And unless he can come up with a good defense on that, he's going to be in very shaky legal ground when he's facing a later criminal charge. And this raises to the what is the scope of executive privilege so it's all embedded in this idea. I think this is pretty weak for claiming executive privilege, given the fact that the Mueller investigation had to do with things that didn't really have to do with carrying out an executive function. It wasn't implementing the laws of the United States. 
it had to do with whether there was collusion and obstruction of justice related to nothing that a president does. Uh, you know, it's not like he's running the Environmental Protection Agency to, you know, protect the spotted owl, something like that, or making sure the military functions. That's that's not an executive function. So to claim executive privilege is pretty weak here. Right, and we've already established, or at least commentary has established, that Mueller and, and Barr disagree on the rights of executive privilege and the law. It's true. And by the yeah. way, the only case on this, uh, on executive privilege, of course, is United States versus Nixon, came down in uh, 1974. Mm-hmm. And what it said, and that that had to do with not contempt of Congress, but it had to do with the scope of executive privilege in the context of the judicial branch. And that said, I'm sorry, you got to give up the document. In that case, it was the tapes. You have to mm-hmm. give up the tapes. It was the Watergate tape case. Now, there's really there's not been a Supreme Court case related to executive privilege related to Congress, and that would be Article um, Article One of the Constitution. So, presumably, the reasoning of the United States versus Nixon applies here. Uh, I don't see the scope of executive privilege extending as far as President Trump wishes it to extend. Mm-hmm. So let's jump back into Congress and Barr and the Mueller report. Since the original call for the unredacted report, the Attorney General has offered Congress a less redacted version of the report, which I believe my understanding is that that would be about 98% unredacted which uh-huh. House Democrats have refused. And the concern on behalf of the Justice Department that's at least been communicated is that the full report includes law enforcement, sensitive information, and grand jury material. So my question is, what is the Attorney General's obligation or duty to protect confidentiality of this type of material? And is there a conflict with his duty and with what Congress is asking of him? There potentially could be. Now, first of all, in terms of the confidentiality, that can be disclosed to committees or committee members that have pretty high security clearances. Mm. So a lot of those confidentiality type arguments, if it's a question of national security, which the Mueller report is filled with issues directly related to national security. I mean, it was an investigation into an attack on the United States, a cyber attack and other kind of internet mm-hmm. attacks on our very electoral process and democracy. So there very well could be um, things, but Congress persons, several of them have that clearances, so they should see it. Now, if you are talking about ongoing investigations and the protection of ongoing investigations and grand jury information, there may be a valid executive privilege argument to withholding that, and the argument is, we're the executive branch. We have a duty to follow through on these investigations, regardless of what Donald Trump – I mean, I don't think Donald Trump wants anything followed through on. But leaving aside what he says, there is a valid, I think, executive privilege argument to say that, no, these are ongoing investigations. We don't want to disclose it, and that's a core executive function. That's what the entire Department of Justice exists to do, and they may have a valid assertion of executive privilege in that narrow context. Okay, so now that the House has voted to hold the Attorney General in contempt, what happens now? Presumably, there will be a referral, and probably always already is a referral, to the Department of Justice. 
for mm-hmm. investigation and prosecution. Now, that referral, that's how many, if not most, criminal, federal criminal cases begin. An agency, for instance, the FBI or the ATF or any other agency investigates mm-hmm. a case and they investigate it and believe that they have a crime. They write up a memo or a document that refers the case to the local U.S. Attorney's Office or to the main Department of Justice. And then the Department of Justice evaluates the referral for whether they can prosecute a crime and whether then they will seek an indictment um, or, or a criminal complaint against somebody. That's just, that's just how this stuff works. You know, that's how the United States Attorney's decides whether to bring a charge against somebody or not. The case is referred, okay? Well, instead of an agency like the FBI doing the referral, this would be either the Congress or a committee would refer it for investigation and prosecution in the Department of Justice. So that's the stage where it's, if it's not there now, that's where it will probably go. And what what is likely to be the outcome of that referral? Well, the outcome of this deferral right now is it's going to be buried in the Bar Trump Department of Justice, uh, mm-hmm. and it won't see the light of day. But again, if I'm William Barr, I better hope that I have a very good argument on executive privilege, because two years down the road, it could well be that a different administration will come in and will give uh, more attention to that referral than I believe that the Bar Trump administration is going to do. And again, to use the example of Eric Holder, he referred that to one of the internal kind of semi-independent parts of the Department of Justice for independent evaluation, and it came back that they would not recommend it for prosecution. And it was a pretty valid process that went that happened with Holder, right? And if Barr was smart, he would do that. If I was Barr's attorney, I would say, no, you need to give this to the independent people. If they come back and say that you should prosecute it, then you should do it, regardless of what Mm -hmm. your boss says. Now, this raises another issue, which is how do you view the presidency? Do you view it as a forceful unitary presidency or don't you? William Barr made himself famous uh, in his prior career as asserting the idea that we have a unitary presidency. I think there's real constitutional arguments that we don't have that strong of a unitary presidency, and that's going to be part of his, presumably part of his future defense. What are the options available to Barr to oppose or defend against? Okay, right. The idea of a unitary executive, all countries don't have that. For instance, I'll give you an example. England does not have exactly a unitary executive. The queen is the head of state. The prime minister is the head of government, and they have different functions. Now, in the United States, the president is the head of state. He's also the head of government, at least the executive branch part of the government. So we we already have more of a unitary executive in the United States. Now, what do you have with – how does this cut against that? The heads of various agencies have independent statutory duties – to implement the laws of the United States. And the perfect example with that is what happened with Sessions, who ran afoul of Donald Trump because he followed internal policy guidelines 
in the Department of Justice and recused himself from the Russia mm-hmm. investigation. Donald Trump clearly wanted him to stay on, and he wanted him to squash the, the investigation and get rid of it. And mm-hmm. Jeff Sessions did not do that because he felt he had independent duties to follow the law regardless of what his boss said. Now, William Barr is very different in his attitude about that. And William Barr is going to – he believes – how much he believes in Donald Trump or not – is not what matters apparently for William Barr. What matters is he believes in a strong unitary executive. And that's what he's going through on. And his defense is going to be, I do what the president says. It's the president who decides this. If you've got a problem with that, you have to impeach him or vote him out of office. So that's Barr's position. I think that's fundamentally a lot wrong for the reasons that I said, and I'll give you a kind of an example. Let's say the Environmental Protection Agency is following a statute from Congress that says you have to protect the jackalope. The jackalope is a mythical animal here in Arizona that is like an antelope, okay. like a jackrabbit yeah. with antelope horns. Okay, it, it, it's on postcards, but it was all made up, right? Okay, so let's say that they have to protect the jackalope, and there's a statute that says you have to protect the jackalope. And a president like President Trump comes in and says, I hate the jackalope. The jackalope is costing jobs. We're not going to protect the jackalope anymore. Well, the head of the Environmental Protection Agency, I believe, has independent duties regardless of what the president says to follow the statute and protect the jackalope. If you believe in a unitary presidency, on the other hand, a strong unitary presidency, you're going to say, I'm not going to follow my statutory obligation that says that the head of the Environmental Protection Agency shall protect the jackalope. I'm going to do what the president says. And if you believe in that, then the jackalope is going to go the way of the dodo. Okay, so the jackalope's not going to get protected, regardless of the statute that says, if I'm the head of the EPA, that says I'm supposed to protect the jackalope. So it, it gets to a fundamental sense about the power of Congress within a system of checks and balances. Yeah. And I believe that the framers of the Constitution did not intend an imperial presidency. They intended a, a strong presidency, but with tremendous limits from the court and Congress. The president and the conflicting constitutional provisions are, it says the president, the office of the presidency is vested in the president of the United States, the executive power. On the other hand, there's another clause in the Constitution that says the president shall faithfully execute the laws of the United States, which means it doesn't matter if he doesn't believe in the jackalope or like the jackalope. He's got to protect it because that's what the law says. So that's the tension that exists. And mm-hmm. uh, and so I personally don't believe in a strong unitary presidency argument, but yeah. William Barr does. Mm-hmm. William Barr's big claim here, and that's kind of the underlying constitutional argument going on. So this leads me back to a question that I've had as I've been following the investigation and the current state of the report and William Barr being held in contempt is this question of obstruction of justice and evidence of obstruction of justice. It's interesting because, as you just described, it sounds like William Barr is of the opinion that it's kind of impossible for the president to obstruct justice. But should it turn out that President Trump has directed William Barr to not provide the full unredacted report to Congress, could that, in theory, then be construed as evidence of, of obstruction of justice? Or of course. 
put that off. Yeah. Okay. If William Barr's little theory here about a unitary presidency and the president almost by definition can't obstruct justice, if he is correct in all that, let me put this, if he's incorrect in that, which I think he is, he's in a very precarious legal position. Yeah. I mean, I would finally state that I, I don't think that the court or the courts are going to upheld this broad definition of executive privilege. Uh, and if you read the Nixon case very clearly, if this current Supreme Court follows that precedent, which they should, but not necessarily will, but they should, then th there's not executive privilege here. Yeah. Court in the United States versus Nixon said it is not an absolute privilege as against uh -huh. the subpoena. It okay. is a qualified privilege. Okay. Yep. Well, then okay. we'll all stay riveted on the outcome. Okay. Of so it may <laughs> take a while, as you said. <laughs> so all right. That's, that's great. It gives us a nice high-level overview of what it even means for William Barr to be held in contempt and what we can expect or not expect for the foreseeable future. Maybe this is just Correct. something we see progress in a couple of years. Well, no. thank you again for all of your insight and walking us through all of that. We appreciate it. My and, pleasure. And thank you to our listeners for joining us on this episode of The Just Pod.